0: and welcome to let's meet the virologist a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines people just like you working to understand viruses and how they affect you during the covid 19 pandemic we are talking with researchers involved in coronavirus and covid 19 related research so that you can learn who they are and what they do i am larissa thackeray and i am hosting this podcast from america's heartland in st louis missouri on june 2nd 2021 we talked with Dr. Ziyad Al-Ali, clinical epidemiologist who studies pharmacoepidemiology, environmental epidemiology, global health, and more recently, short and long-term effects of COVID-19 on health outcomes. Ziyad earned his medical degree from the American University of Beirut, Lebanon, and completed his residency in internal medicine and fellowship in nephrology at St. Louis University before joining the VA St. Louis Healthcare System. Ziad established and directs the VA's Clinical Epidemiology Center and is currently an assistant professor of medicine at Washington University School of Medicine and is chief of the research and education service at the VA. Welcome. Um, why don't you tell us about yourself?
1: I am a nephrologist by training, so that's a kidney disease doctor for those of uh, not directly in the medical profession. And uh, I uh, became interested in clinical epidemiology back in residency and fellowship. and and you know clinical research interested me a great deal and it sort of gravitated toward uh, specializing in clinical epidemiology. When, when the whole thing sort of broke out, it, we we did have a brainstorming session with with my team and, and said that, w- what can we do to help out? What do we do or what can we do to pitch in and do our part in the response to the pandemic? And I myself, I'm a, I'm a clinician and I, you know, attended on, on, on the wards and did my clinical duties, but a lot of my team members are, you know, 100% researchers. And, and uh, so, so we had this brainstorming session and we, we really wanted to do our part. We, you know, everybody was, was, you know, pitching in and, and doing their part. We wanted to do our part. And, and that's, that's really our, our, you know, that's sort of the genesis of, of our interest in COVID. And, and then it became a sort of a, you um, uh, uh, an exercise of trying to identify what are the questions out there are really important to the public that we could help address in a rigorous way. You know, we, we sort of start seeing the flood of COVID papers here and there and, and you know, variable quality. So we, we try to focus on on things that are on research questions that are uh, really we, we, what we think is really important to the general public and important to the policy, the policymakers and Decision makers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and that we could answer with our data. And and really, the, the first one um, was was when uh, we realized there was a lot of talk about COVID and the flu, and like, oh, how does COVID compare to the flu? Is COVID worse than the flu? Is COVID the same as the flu? And there were you know politicians involved in that discussion. It was on you know all over this you know the the, the place, and and it was really in the lay vernacular. People were were starting to talk about COVID and the flu as a sort of a, a comparison. And we said, like, oh, we, we, that's something we could do. We could actually really delve deeper into it and provide an apples to apples comparative evaluation of COVID and the flu and resolve or address that question and, and, and answer it. And, and that's really you know our, our first major work in, in 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 COVID. And then you know subsequently from there, sort of a, me being a nephragist, we sort of try to do you know some stuff in the nephrase space. Um, you know, there was, um, you know, early on there was a recognition that people with COVID nineteen are are developing acute kidney injury, sort of like a you know, kidney damage as a result of the infection and sort of the the uh, other characteristics that sort of accompany the infection itself, and and uh, so that sort of led us to sort of like you know, be interested in like what's happening to the kidneys and people with COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and then from there on, sort of a transition to to you know, uh, you know uh, 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 really a, an interest in, in long COVID.
0: Before we get there, why don't we take another step back and just ask, so how did you, when you were younger, how did you even think about medicine or this kind of work? How did you get interested in it?
1: Well, I'm I'm uh, I I grew up in Lebanon, and um, I grew up in a family where actually, you know, uh, my uncle was a doctor, and then sort of knew early on that I wanted to go into medicine, and went to the you know American University of Beirut there for undergrad, and then medical school. So it was sort of a, you know, was an interest, you know, it was an interest of mine, you know, early on to, to be in medicine. Obviously at that point did not really know that I wanted to be an aphrodist or let alone be a clinical epidemiologist. So those developed along the way. And you sort of see uh, you know, role models around you, and you see, you know, different specialties, and you see people doing research, and you see people doing basic research or translational research or clinical trials, and you see those like, you know, nerdy, mathy statisticians, you know, doing models and and, and that that's attracts me a, a great deal. That's sort of like, oh, this is what I want to do. You know, like data work and trying to understand data and, and build models and trying to, to you know, un- understand, you know, trends and, and sort of that, that, you know, to each his own and that's sort of, a, you know, it may be nerdy to some people and it may be geeky to some people, uh, but, but, it's a, but but that's sort of the, really how, how, how it all came to be. It, it's sort of the the journey through the different phases of life and, you know, seeing what's around you and, and sort of, you know, if this is this something that sort of speaks to me? Is this something that right. sort of, a, you know, really is, is really, you know, tickles my fancy and, and speaks to me and drives me and, and, and motivates me. And, 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 you know, I wake up at, at, in the morning, like thinking about it, and I want to do it. And then, and, and, and then, and then, you know, you, 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 people find their ways and, and, you know, found my way into, um, you know, nephrology and subsequently clinical epidemiology.
0: And, and like the clinical epidemiology, was that part of your medical school res- residency training or was that something that you sort of developed yourself?
1: no it wasn't you know and and, and in, in my view it's also still fairly underdeveloped in the medical school curriculum there's really barely any um exposure meaningful exposure to biostatistics and epidemiology i mean there is some but it's really in our view and, and we're biased because we want people to learn more and do more it's really rudimentary and, and even in, in residency and fellowship it's sort of a you know most of the conversation it starts like oh well this is confounding here and it starts it starts and stops there i mean there's really not a whole lot of a really critical thinking and really evolving the idea. And, and you'll see sort of a, even up to this day, you see medical students and residents running around and like like thinking that actually, you know, intellectually contributing to the discussion and, and criticizing papers it's like, oh, that is confounding. But like, and, and what's, what's like, how do we evolve that thinking, you know, more? Um, so no, it was, it was later on when I sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, started, uh, you know, doing clinical research and then and then discovering the world of clinical research and in in discovering that or oh, there is something called clinical epidemiology and that's really that's really you know important and it's really not only you know just p-values and and confounding there's a whole lot more you know a lot more to it there's you know causal inference and there's sort of a you know different fields within you know clinical epidemiology there's pharmacoepidemiology there's environmental epidemiology there's you know a lot, a lot I mean the health metrics you really you know sort of an amazing amazing field that sort of started about 20 years ago but how do you really you know, uh, you know, develop health metrics, how do you really, you know, measure burden of disease uh, in a way that that could really inform decision making and, and, and those are really amazing, amazing, um, you know, uh, methodologies that really serve um, to, to advance our understanding of burden of disease and, 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 and outcomes. And it's, a, it's, it's been a joy, honestly, I and mean, it's really a wonderful, um, wonderful journey.
0: And I guess for our listeners, can you describe a little bit more when you talk about burden of disease or some of the clinical epidemiology? How does one do these studies? Just as sort of a very basic level.
1: From a basic level, it's really it's a lot of modeling. So, so um, you know, um, generally, um, uh, you know burden of disease is a sort of broad word. I um, mean, it can be measured in, in, in different ways. And, and, uh, and there are multiple measures that say like there's something called DALI or disability adjusted life years. And there is sort of a years of life loss and years of living with the disease. So those are just generally measures of, of, of burden of disease. And, 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 and uh, to, to get there, there is sort of a, uh, um, to, to explain it in, in in simple way, there is obviously sort of like estimation of the risk of you know certain like a, an exposure on, on outcome and, and then subsequently sort of an estimation or like what is from that risk on, on the absolute scale what's sort of the burden in a in a in a specific population or or an underlying population and and, and so so those three things are, are actually quite quite informative in in, in sort of a, a understanding the the, um, the true impact of disease on populations.
0: And and this data or this, these modeling, they're drawn from what clinical records or clinical studies, or is it?
1: So, so, variety of things. So in, in our work, we use sort of the, the uh, electronic health record data and the GBD work and the global burden of disease uh, study that uh, I'm a formal, co- formal uh, collaborator of, or formal member of um, we, it, it's really a meta regression of a lot of studies, a lot of data banks, um, you know, throughout the world. It's a global burden of disease. So there's, you know, data banks from the, you know, or, or studies from the U S and, and obviously from a lot of other, other places. And, and, uh, and actually there are, countries where there's no data and then, and then that's really done through modeling so the imputation there or or um generating the estimates say for hiv in in some places in africa because there is paucity of studies and or or some studies maybe that just too small to really you know be able to give you a big picture of the whole country is a lot of mathematical modeling it's, it's almost like what you what you do with the weather service right like it's a there's a lot of there's a there is a information from variety of sources uh and and then subsequently uh, sort of, you know, modeling to sort of output um, um, uh, uh, a a picture of what the, what the, what the sort of the disease, let's say, for burden of diabetes or kidney disease looks like nationwide or looks like globally.
0: And then to follow up on that, um, can you tell us some of the research you were doing doing pre-COVID? So before COVID hit, what kind of research were you doing?
1: sure so so really um i mean our research program was we had a pipeline of research in pharmacoepidemiology we were very 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 interested in the competitive effectiveness of medications and also risks of medications i mean our group had a really contributed like substantially to uh, elucidating our understanding of the side effects of PPIs or proton pump inhibitors. And, and we were among the first to describe that PPI was associated with kidney disease problems and PPI associated with early death and cause specific mortality. So we're very, very interested in trying to you know, leverage data to really study long-term, if, um, long-term risks of uh, commonly used medications and sort of PPI or proton pump inhibitors. For those, it's a heartburn medication um, that people take for heartburn, very commonly used, one of the most commonly used medication in the world and also in the U.S. You know, when taken, you know, long enough uh, uh, without indication can actually be associated with risk of adverse events. So so, and then um, and then. Uh, Recently, we sort of started doing uh, a lot of more work on competitive effectiveness of um, diabetes medication. So, but broadly, there was a pipeline of research on pharmacoepidemiology. We're also very, 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 very interested in the health impacts of air pollution on, on, on non-communicable diseases and, and also communicable diseases. So, so we think that, that um, you know, the, the you know, sort of the exposure to air pollution is, is associated with mortality and we want to understand it better. So, we have sort of a Pipeline of research, um, you know, t- t- trying to you know uh, delve deeper and understand the relationship between air pollution and diabetes, air pollution and kidney disease risk, air pollution and mortality, and that's also a really uh, you know really vibrant uh, you know pipeline of research. And then the third you know pipeline in 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 my group really was was uh, you know this global burden of disease collaboration that we. Are, uh, we, we, you know, contribute to it uh, substantially, and, and it, it's been an, a wonderful collaboration of a, tons of people throughout the world, you know, generating estimates for pretty much all diseases on earth, including kidney disease, diabetes, and the stuff that we're interested in, uh, we, we we contribute to. So, th- so that was the picture before COVID. And then... And then COVID hit, and then sort of we 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 conscious took a conscious decision: like, do we keep the stay the course and keep doing what we are doing, um, or do we really roll up our sleeve and pitch in and and try to do our part, I mean, as everybody else, you know, try to do our part in, in solving problems here and contributing as scientists to generating new knowledge and answering questions that are important to the public, and and that was sort of the the, the genesis of our pivoting, so to speak, uh, to from a pre-pandemic, you know, program that has pretty much like zero infectious diseases, zero virology and no COVID. And we didn't even know what COVID is. And like, we never worked with viruses, never really, you know, uh, done, done, you know, infectious disease, disease epidemiology. We're more like a chronic disease epidemiology people. I mean, you know, clinical epidemiology is broad and we sort of, you know, feel like our forte and our major strength is in chronic disease epidemiology. You know, acute and infectious diseases, epidemiology. Obviously, a lot of the underlying science is the same, but it's a little bit of a different animal. And we never really done that. And but but you know, COVID hit and it's like, okay, well, now that that, that is here, and 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 you know, and, and we can actually contribute to solving some of those questions or 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 addressing some of those questions.
0: So I guess, yeah. So with that background, can you tell us a little bit about sort of this latest study where you're kind of looking at um, once you get covid what is your i guess risk in a way for adverse outcome not just death but in in sort of health burden
1: yeah so that that was that was really so the the, the early sort of Indications that 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 people are not recovering fully after COVID really actually came out early in the pandemic. I do remember reading an up at piece in New York Times, uh, you know, early in the pandemic, uh, from Fee Lowenstein, you know, an amazing person, and, and she she basically said, let's talk about you know uh, uh, coronavirus recoveries, and and it's not what you think. You, you know, you don't recover in two three weeks, and you still have lingering you know fatigue and shortness of breath, and I, and et cetera, et cetera. So it was an early indication. I was like, okay, maybe this is anecdotal. You know, we don't really know. Is this really happening at a large scale? Is this really a thing? So, but it wasn't in the back of my mind. And then, but I followed the story because I was like, okay, that's really interesting. It's, it's there's something there. So it flagged in my, immediately flagged in my brain back then. And, and then, you know, um, you know, Philoenstein's uh, up, up at generated a lot of interest from patients, you know, patient-led research groups, and, and absolutely amazing. I, I actually sort of had a conversation with one of their leaders, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I told her, you guys are the Larry Kramer of, of COVID, and, and, and oh, she said, oh, this is really a great compliment, and this is how I feel. So they, they coalesce around each other, and... and um, and really launched this patient led movement to do research and advocacy around, around COVID. And I still didn't sort of feel like, okay, is this really a big thing? And then, you know, subsequently it sort of became clearer that, that these are not like just, you know, 200, 300 people. There's a lot of people who are interested in and who are, who are, who are reporting unresolved symptoms, you know, weeks after the infection. I mean, that's, that's really a long time for a virus infection. You get a cold, you're supposed to get better in a few days. You get a, you know, a, a flu, you, you get better with a few weeks. I mean, you know, so, so, you know, weeks down the road to have still, you know, unresolved or lingering symptoms, that's a little bit unusual. Uh, you know, uh, So, so we decided to take a comprehensive look and, and, and really what we did in this, in this paper, we, you know, a lot of people like, well, you know, we, we didn't have a hypothesis because we didn't know enough to really even formulate a hypothesis. So, so what we did is what we call like a high dimensional approach to really look comprehensively and systematically at, at you know, everything that, that long COVID could, could result in, and and so so we sort of built the setup for it, and, and 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 started looking, and and wherever we looked, um, and again it was a systematic, uh, comprehensive approach. You know that was evidence of abnormalities. So people with long COVID, people people who survived the first thirty days of COVID, these are COVID survivors who didn't really. Yeah, you know, succumb to, Ill, to, to to death in the first thirty days. People who survived long COVID went on to to you know to continue to experience fatigue, shortness of breath, cough. So a lot of respiratory symptoms. But not only that, not only that. There was really clear evidence of higher risk of stroke, memory problems, higher risk of liver disease, higher risk of kidney injury, higher risk of some GI abnormalities, higher risk of heart problems. There was like myocarditis, you know, new onset heart failure, new onset diabetes, really alarmingly also really the mental toll that, that COVID takes on people. There was really substantially higher risk of new onset uh, anxiety, depression, sleep disorders, and 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 you know, and, and, and use of antidepressants, anxiolytics, etc., etc., etc. So so overall, we we think that that's sort of a that beyond the acute illness, you know, COVID survivors are experiencing substantial burden of disease, and and it isn't really only respiratory, and it's not really only. Cough, or shortness of breath, or fatigue, or or muscle weakness, or muscle pain. There's a lot that is certainly a metabolic signature. We see diabetes. We see uh, clearly a metabolic signature there. There's certainly uh, mental health distress and mental health disorders, and 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 there is really organ involvement, so like heart, kidney, liver. So that that is, that is very 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 clear, and 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 so that that was uh, so, so so really um, and even when you compare it so in our in our in our papers, so we. We then said okay well maybe maybe viruses do that but then maybe nobody paid attention to the flu before and they catalogue it for for a you know like a more like a you know a longitudinally so let's do a comparison in that paper you know of covid versus the flu because you know we know actually we knew i mean you're an infectious disease Person too and we knew that some people with flu also still experience a lot of symptoms down the road right i mean like flu isn't isn't exactly benign you know, comparatively speaking COVID is worse but flu is not a good virus either like you definitely want to have your flu shot too yeah. but but uh but then but unless like let, let's sort of you know compare you know COVID versus flu and even when we compare it versus another respiratory illness that is you know quite quite substantial, um, quite severe, um, uh, you know, the COVID is associated with higher risk of long-term uh, morbidity and also higher risk of mortality. So, so we see we there's something there around, like maybe the infection uh, itself, maybe the virus. A, there's a lot of hypotheses sort of floating around and I don't want to sort of speculate too much, um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's very clear that, that COVID survivors, obviously, some of them, not all of them, this is not like, you know, everybody who really had COVID, but but clearly, some of them do not fully recover and and have lingering symptoms and or lingering problems. And those problems can can affect or long COVID can affect nearly every organ system.
0: Right. And just to take a step back. So this data was derived from or these, uh, this paper in a way was using what sort of a data set? So what what kind of clinical records were you using for this?
1: So, so we use so the uh, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs national data sets uh, to, to build uh, the, the, uh, the cohort and, and, and the study data. And that, that, that data was developed by the Office of Research and Development uh, at the uh, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs in D.C. So they have this sort of, uh, large COVID um, data repository uh, and uh, so we, we've, we've sort of used that to, to build our, um, uh, our analyses.
0: I see. And are there some caveats then based on your analysis based on that data set? So for one example, it's going to be more dominated by men, for example. So would you expect that there might be some differences if you had uh, a, a, a looking more at women, for example?
1: Uh, certainly. So, so that like so, uh, when, when you do science, you always have to understand like the strengths of your approach, but actually far more importantly, the limitations, like what you know, what you don't know, and also the uncertainty around some of the estimates. So, you know, clearly, you know, um, electronic health health record research is is an amazing. We feel it's an amazing resource to really contribute new knowledge, but but. Uh, but, but there are you know obvious limitations. Um, a, it's not it's not certainly not a randomized experiment. You know. B, it, 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 you know there are maybe issues with generalizability, as you noted. Maybe demographics are different. You know, sex distribution or distribution of of sex. You know, females and males maybe maybe different than the general population and, and 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 more. I mean the age differences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But 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 we feel regardless. I mean we 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 do feel you know very strongly that. That, that you know, uh, the cohort itself is actually quite big, and when we published it, it was like the, the largest study to date on long COVID. And somebody asked me, Well, like, oh, wait, well, you, you only have like you know, um, you know, eight percent female, and then you're like, you know, your, your core is 73,000 people. It's so like, well, that's actually more than 5,000 females, and that's like actually, if you only count those, that's still the largest study on long COVID in female, because most of the you know, COVID papers on, on, on that, that, if you look at them, they're like 2,000, 3,000, and 50 50, so they would have like. 1500 female we have 5000 so it was still it i mean so just because also the huge number and the national um that uh, that that the, the study is a, is, a, is a national study and it's also like a, a longitudinal etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's a lot of like you know things that 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 sort of uh, would would indicate that you know, the broader message is, 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 is there, but, but certainly, I mean, you, you, you definitely need to um, always be cognizant about the limitation of the approach and limitation of the data and limitation of the, of the, uh, of, of the, of the study results in general. And that may, makes for always a better science right. and, and understanding like the, the, the limitation and not sort of over-interpreting things.
0: Yeah. So what's next? So I think, you know, clearly your study and others are really supporting that. There are these long term effects, maybe not in everyone, but even I think a lot of the studies are suggesting you don't have to have severe COVID. You don't have to be hospitalized to have these long term effects either. So sort of what's what's next? What is the next thing that you you all are thinking about?
1: So, so thinking about a long, about long COVID, thinking about about a lot about like who who is at risk of long COVID, are there sex differences? I mean, you you point I me, mean, that's really very 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 important. Are there age differences? Is like do the older adults have a higher risk of getting long COVID or higher burden of long COVID than 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 uh, younger folks? Is it is there a difference based on race? Is, it, is there like other racial differences? You know, black, Asian, Latinx, and and you know um, you know and uh, white and uh, and other other racial groups are there differences? based on race and also baseline health status. I think that's really quite important to try to, you know, is it is it the, the sick people to start with, or sort of the people who get COVID and then don't really quite recover from it, or is it something else going on? And, you know, because COVID is such a complex disease, it's really not one thing, you know, like in, in our papers, like, you know, at, at, at least, I mean, even if you were to reduce the dimensionality of our paper, it would be like 33 sequela. So we call them post acute sequela, but but uh, to, 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 to avoid like using a lot of a uh, specific term, a lot of sort of a uh, 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 but but the, those man, I mean, there are at least 33 manifestations. I'm going to call them not sequelae manifestations, right? I mean, like it's sort of, a, it's not one thing and sort of try to, you know, um, you know, gain a better understanding of how these, you know, how these things sort of uh, um, uh, come together in in, in, a, in, a, in a phenotype would, would be what I think is a, is really quite interesting. What, what, it, there is a lot to unpack in, in long COVID. Also the, the metabolic signature, we think is actually deserves a lot of attention and there is, is um Higher risk of mental health disorders in excess. I mean, people say, well, like you know, there is there is a higher. I mean, it's a pandemic. We all suffered, and and clearly, you know, there's trauma, there's grief, there is, uh, you know, a lot of chaos, and 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 all of us suffered, and that's true. But but what we're saying is that people with COVID suffered more. And as a result, I have a higher risk of depression than than other people who did not have COVID, and 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 so 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 I think that also like needs to be uh, you know like needs sort of like a, a lot of unpacking there to try to understand what's uh, you know uh, better uh, what, what long COVID is, how to best define it. You know, believe it or not, we talk about long COVID or PASC or post acute sequelae, but we don't have a definition. There's no definition for the disease yet, like just no clinically useful definition. And, and so you know, we, we sort of created our own for another paper that we have now under review. But but um but there's really no formal definition. There's like no agreed upon definition of how we even define the disease. So I think we're still in the early stages of really, you know, scratching the tip of or or the, the surface or like really seeing the tip of the ice group, but there's really a lot beneath.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um so I guess uh, turning more personally, um, why don't you talk a little bit about sort of yourself as a scientist, as a researcher, as a physician, um, uh, sort of, one of you know, what has been sort of maybe the most exciting thing you've done or the most fulfilling thing you've done in your career? And then conversely, what's been most, the most difficult thing you've had to overcome?
1: Oh, wow. That's really an interesting question. So, so um, uh, I mean, there are a lot of fulfilling things. I think like the most, most like really thing that that gives me a lot of like rewarding or like less, or a lot of happiness is seeing my mentees grow, is seeing my mentees, you know, like, uh, you know, like the people that I mentor really grow and, and, and publish papers and have first author papers here and here and here and there. And it's really been a joy sort of seeing them blossom from, you know, in junior people who really, you know, struggling to put like a first paper together, and now to have like a really wonderful biosketch. When I like my favorite moment is when I like get get a mentee to send me his biosketch or her biosketch, and then go through the through the biosketch. Like what, how much we've done together, and how much I was able to really, you know, impact this person's life and 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 grow them. And that's really, you know, that that's sort of a, for me. It, it's really um, it's it's really an amazing amazing rewarding experience, and and it, it gives me a lot of joy and and. And and, um, and we're we're not a big team. I don't have like a million mentee, but but the, the but we're we're definitely committed, and and I'm definitely 100% committed to, to to making sure that they continue to grow and and do amazingly well. And and and, then, and honestly, I sort of feel lucky to be working with people like that. I sort of feel just lucky to to have uh, you know wonderful people around me who really want to do real real good science and, and hard workers. Um, Difficult things. I mean, there are a lot of difficulties in life. And, and um, I I, uh, you know, there is there, a lot, sort of a, you know, I, I came from Lebanon, you know, from a sort of a, a country. <laughs> there's a war. I mean, I grew up in the middle of the civil war. So that's a, one difficulty. I'm a sort of a minority in 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 Lebanon and here, and there's sort of a lot of challenges around, around that. And you know, in, in the professional environment, there are, you know a lot of people who would root for your success, and some people who don't, and and feel you know I don't know I mean uh, feel sort of unhappy about it, and and that's a, a challenge. But but I, but I think in the, in the big scheme of things, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, you just keep your head above water and and keep moving forward. I think um, I think uh, you know life is about perseverance, and 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 a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it is also. Um, you know how you arise from a challenge not really you know you know like how you really navigate challenge gracefully and you rise from a challenge you know, i think everybody is going to fall and everybody is going to 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 uh, you know fail and everybody is going to you know have a um uh, uh, but th- those are experiences that, that that sort of teach you to to learn better the next time and if you frame it like that and you persevere through it and you you know summon the energy to after you fall to get up and 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 i think that's sort of a that 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 keeps moving you forward and and i think that's sort of a that i mean so i i, I try to sort of frame things like that in, in my life but the, you know they are ch- i mean that i undoubtedly challenges i mean i sort of came from a country that was in the middle of war i couldn't do anything about it except go to the shelter and 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 uh you know i'm in in lebanon i was a minority and i was like okay so uh, so that with with all of that you know, with, with all sort of like what what comes with it in school and bullying and all of that, and and then you know it's not really very different here. <laughs> so, uh, but um, but uh, but I think I think you just you just keep moving forward and w- with grace and, and 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 perseverance. And I think that's that's really that's really sort of my my so sort of what characterizes my my attitude toward this.
0: And what about what's been the most exciting thing you've sort of done scientifically?
1: Scientifically, I think this this long COVID thing. I, I think sort of a, we we really. Um, I, I think you know be, you know. Uh, Man, obviously we've been incredibly lucky to be at the right place at the right time but i sort of feel that a lot of the thing we've been doing over the past years prepare, past 10 years prepared us for like we we couldn't do what we did on, on, had it had had it not been for a lot of preparation really blood sweat and tears over the past 10 years really mastering the methodology we never really knew we we're going to study long code we never really knew we want to do this we didn't have any we are gonna you know get get a paper in nature or anything like that but it was really um, you know a lot of this the stuff that we worked on very 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 hard over the past 10 years that prepared us to like ask the right questions develop the right methodology to address those questions and 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 address them rigorously sufficiently rigorously to 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 really do this and and, and it was a proud moment and, and because i sort of think that that um that it contributes to, I mean, it really, I mean, you know, again, what's most of, you know, so, so I'm, I'm in touch with a lot of patient-led groups and, and, and just to see sort of the enormous reaction, you know, from them to this and, and, and their gratitude. And then like how this is really sort of like, you know, you know, you know, we, we take it as science, like you're a scientist, like, okay, this is really evidence You evaluate objectively for them. It's almost like validation of their, their lived experiences, especially in a world where, where they're being hit a lot of time by, what they call medical gaslighting by people telling them that, oh, it's on your head. It's psychosomatic. We don't believe you. No, you don't have pain. You're just lazy, or it's, it's psychosomatic. It's all in your head. And and you know and then so so just incredi- incredible gratitude and and support from the patient community. And and you know you're doing something right. You know you're like you're, you know this is really um, so 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 I mean I, I would say that this this is a this was a certainly a proud moment and and that, definitely grateful for for all the support that we received from you know all the you know and even to like you know the, the, so, so some of them are. are Absolutely amazing. I mean, I've obviously never really met personally Larry Kramer, but it was inspired by his story of advocacy. And then uh, some of the patient-led groups remind me of like how strongly they had the strong conviction and their advocacy with a very strong and clear voice for their own people, for their rights, for their own people as humans to be dignified, for their lived experiences to be recognized as something and and, and for people to really pay attention to it and devote attention to it. So, so we can solve it and treat it. And it's really, really amazing. It's absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, I guess as sort of as an individual, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected you? So how has, um, How's it affected your life here? And then I don't know. Do you still have family back in Lebanon, or no? Okay, so you're uh, fine.
1: Um, yeah. So has it affected my life here? Well, for for, for uh, you know, uh, my work doubled. Like I like the, I, I you know I used to you know I, I go on Twitter sometimes and I, like see all these people during the pandemic like baking. Um, you know sourdough bread it's like i it was like i was like i was like my work double i do i cannot even like i cannot even you know like i can i can't barely you know cook an egg or have time to cook an egg like and you guys are doing sourdough bread so so it's been it's been a challenge and i think i think we, we took a conscious conscious decision that we're gonna like double down and try to to solve problems and and it's very hard it's, it's very very time consuming and it's very resource intensive like from you know time and effort and brain energy so so we we literally like the, the workload has, has substantially increased not decreased as a, as a result of this pandemic and and uh and you know on a personal level there's a lot of stress and a lot of uncertainty and and um, you know uh, honestly sort of reduce social contact and isolation and all that. So that's really affected me personally I, I think negatively um like like uh, i mean i'm pretty sure this is a i mean I, this is my like I'm, I'm saying like this is my experience but i'm also sure, sure, certain that it's shared by a lot of people it's sort of a, uh, we, we all went through you know a pandemic together i mean yeah. this was a big big deal and, and 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 you know to some extent you know uh you know pretty much all of us are in some way or another scarred by it and 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 probably for a long time if not permanently i mean it, it's uh, it's 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 something that 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 happened to all of us and it's 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 profoundly impactful on people's lives and including mine. So, so yeah, I mean, but, but we, but we found, I mean, we, 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 we felt through it all throughout like this sort of the, the, the moment of isolation that, that, and, and, and uh, that, that, that the best way to respond to is to really work more and work harder and try to solve problems.
0: Um, And then I guess um, early on in, on, in the, podcast, I was sort of asking people, you know, how would you talk about risk of COVID? But I think what's now important is sort of talk is sort of how do you think about and how do you talk with family and friends about um, sort of vaccination and um, uh, sort of the the advantages, disadvantages to vaccination?
1: Well, uh, I mean, Maybe, for the most part, I will be preaching to the choir, but but generally speaking that that um, you know, I, I sort of feel like, COVID itself is a horrible disease, and, and even if people who survive COVID, and even if the people, if, and, and some people, I mean, as, as you noted in our studies and others, and even the people the people who have very mild COVID, they could actually still have long COVID and can have really miserable consequences from long COVID. And if you go back and and, and see that acute illness, it's like they had a mild acute illness, like, oh, just like a little fever for a few days and a little cough here and there, and and all went away. But they couldn't recover their energy, or they had memory problems. They had like myocarditis, like three, four, five, six weeks. That six weeks down the road. So, you know, like how, how did that happen? We still don't really know. But 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 uh, but it's very clear that that you know even mild illness in young people can can result in long COVID. So COVID is a is a is a really a serious disease. Long COVID is is a very very serious disease. The best best way to avoid all of that is to get vaccinated. So, um, I think uh, generally. I would be preaching in my choir to the to the choir in my, cir- in my circle but uh circles but but uh, um to, to us to us the answer is very like dear. vaccinate 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 and 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 that requires you know community engagement requires engagement by every sector in society and, and you know hopefully the, the vaccination rates continue to to, to go up i mean it's it's a uh, it, it's uh, you know we, we are in a country where we're blessed to have a, abundant and available vaccines and 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 really really the best way to save us is is to really is is, is to really get vaccinated and and uh, so I hope that message resonates with people but but um uh, yeah I mean th- th- this is very very important again for like we study long COVID the best way to avoid long COVID is to avoid COVID through vaccination period.
0: Yeah. And what are your thoughts about um, vaccination in the pediatric population? So just as a a, a aside, I personally, my kids have now started to get vaccinated. So one, you know, one is just got, you know, is getting a second shot and my 12 year old will have his first shot in about two weeks. But I know that there's some more um, hesitancy in a lot of groups about whether that is a good idea and i just wanted to get your thoughts so on we that.
1: also we also think it's a very good idea i mean i mean again uh, you know COVID is a horrible disease and, and certainly can happen in children can, can certainly happen in young people can certainly can happen in, in, in children and also long-term or downstream ramifications of of of, of covet uh, or viral illness can also manifest in children and can be incapacitating again this is really would be rare but but it, it can be it, it in children, but it's 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 called it can also be be incapacitating. So what we know about the vaccine, well let's start with the objective data. What we know about the vaccine, they're incredibly, incredibly safe and 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 very effective. I mean when we, you know, when they started doing the trial, like I thought like maybe like we'll get like 70% you know efficacy, 75% efficacy, 95%. I mean, are you kidding me? And the side effect profile, I mean, so 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 they're incredibly effective and and really, really, really uh safe. And 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 uh, the, 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 in our view, there really should be no reason for for I mean, we we understand why some people are hesitant, but but really, we feel very strongly that the best way to get us out of this is is and and to get us as close back to normal as possible is so to vaccinate. And by the way, you know, COVID isn't going anywhere so like you cannot wait it out you're not gonna like say oh i'm just gonna like not get vaccinated and maybe i'll just go away in a year or two it's not going away and covid is likely will probably stay with us for 100 years i mean this is not going this is not something that's going to go away that's it i mean it's a it's a very it's a much much smarter virus than than MERS and other things. Uh, so this is not something that's going to disappear. We're going to have to live with it. Now, the good news is that, that, that you know, uh, you know, more and more people are getting vaccinated, but, but we really definitely need to work on the segment of the population that are you know, so far hesitant, trying to understand why and try to sort of like work with that to really try to optimize those traits in all population groups, not only high-risk population, and also include children.
0: Right. Well, um, we're coming to the close. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Ziad's work over the past 10 years, developing the methodology to study the effects of medications and air pollution on health, as well as the global burden of kidney disease and diabetes allowed his lab to pivot last year to study the substantial systemic burden of disease associated with long COVID. Current work in his lab continues to determine how to define long COVID and the risk factors associated with developing this disease. This has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackeray, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google, Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, and other podcasts, or at lmtv.pod.com.